Welcome into All In with Adam, episode nine. I can't believe it's episode nine. This is a lot of talking. Uh, I've done an average of about an hour and a half, hour and a half for nine episodes now, or what will be nine episodes. So we've got to be pushing 12 to 13 hours of talking. So if you've come along uh, along on all of those rides with me, man, I thank you for that investment of time. That is a that is a whole lot of thinking, a whole lot of talking. And to contrast last week's episode, which was brutally technical philosophically, at least for me, you know, it, it really... It really puts my brain in like the fifth and the sixth gear that you don't always have to go into. And when I have episodes like that or even just discussions or conversations like that or weeks of thinking about topics that are that heavy and difficult to dive into, it's nice to contrast it with a a certain amount of, <laughs> I don't want to say bullshit, but maybe nonsense is a better word. And uh, for me, something along the lines of like watching South Park is what I would normally do, right? Got to hit the off switch sometimes. So I hope this episode will serve um, as something like a South Park episode in that we can turn our brain off a little bit, not think quite so much, and just have a much more relaxed sort of episode. With that said, I'm notoriously horrible at that, and we'll likely get into some deep shit uh, as we get a little further into this episode, but time will tell. We'll find out, I guess. So, over the last 10 years, I have been asked repeatedly about my tattoos. Nothing short of, I was thinking, trying to come up with a number, but but I would say 250 times I've been asked about my tattoos. What is this tattoo? What is that one? What does this mean? When did you get this? Let me see this. And, you know, I never wanted to put that on any of my drum platforms because I always felt, and I feel this way in general about tattoos, that they they can border on like an e- an egotistical kind of thing. And it's not always like that, but I definitely remember when I was young and got tattoos, getting them for the wrong reasons, getting them, you know, under this category of like self-expression. But in reality, I wanted people to look at me and come to some conclusion about me. I wanted to profess a belief to the world or an image to the world. Um, and make people think something about me. And as I've gotten older, man, I have abandoned all of those beliefs. That is no longer how I view self-expression in general, right? Um, I think confidence and modesty are weirdly married together in a lot of ways. And so I don't make an episode like this to tell you how cool I think my ideas are or my tattoos are or my opinions of art. Um, They're deeply personal. And I learned this sort of in a in a backwards way when i got some philosophy religious philosophy tattooed on me when i was 18 years old and as i became you know a non-believer over over the next several years people would still approach me and make comments because i realized that i was still sending the message to the world that i was a believer i had i had bible verse a very large bible verse tattooed um, on my arm and you know, I just realized that I no longer wanted to do that. No matter what I believe, no matter what my, what my philosophy might be, or whatever whatever I'm holding on to right now that, that I would claim to, to be my identity, you know, I don't want to scream that at the world because in reality, you're not just you now. You're you five years ago and then 10 years in the future. You're, you're There's many versions of you. And I don't like the idea of screaming at the top of my lungs that this is who I am because that person is gonna change. It's also... You know, it's constantly evolving. So there's a permanence to tattoos that I kind of don't like. And for that reason, I think their meaning should be 
deeply personal. It's not about me screaming to the world what I believe necessarily, and something about this podcast feels kind of like that. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I'm a fan of art, and I do have some some ideas that I personally think are really cool. And this question has just been asked so many hundreds of times that I figured uh, let's make this this podcast like a for the record so I can always point people here and go, hey, if you want to learn about tattoo stuff, here's the episode. And there's some cool stories, metaphors, analogies, and and some, um, some background and context in this episode that I think will be kind of fun to explore. And again, contrasted to last week's episode, this will be nice and easy. Also, I have the dogs out here this time. Rhino and Tahoe are out here at my feet. So if they decide to start fighting and you hear some ruckus, that's what's happening there. Now, ironically, a lot of the tattoos that I got early on have been covered up. A ton of them have been covered up, um, which in my mind now I see that as just like wasted money, right? Uh, Tattoos should be one of the most sound investments that you can make. You're going to die with this thing. It's more permanent than a ton of other material possessions. I mean, show me a car that's still running 50 years from now without having basically replaced every part of the car, you know, but... I can show you a tattoo that somebody got 50 years ago that's still on their body, right? So in a lot of ways, I look at them as like a very permanent investment. It's unfortunately non-transferable, so it's a pretty shitty asset, and it's not an investment that's ever going to grow, but you definitely get your money's worth, so that's kind of how I look at them. But there's been a number of tattoos that I've gotten and and had covered up over the years, and so we're going to go through them one at a time. I thought it would be most interesting, though, to organize these these tattoos that I have uh, in order of like when I got them because you'll see a progression of hopefully some sort of intelligence as we move along further. Like I got I got less dumb shit as I got a little older. Hopefully, you might disagree there, but uh, the first tattoo that I ever got was actually a deal that I made with my mom when I was 15 years old. She signed the papers and allowed me to get a tattoo, but the deal was that I had to get If I remember right, it was a 4.0. I had to get straight A's, which she wholly knew that I was capable of getting, but I was in this rebellious, pot-smoking, skateboarding phase, and man, I just, I no longer cared about school. It wasn't that I wasn't capable of doing well in school. I just had this overwhelming sense of apathy, and all of my grades plummeted. I didn't care about that at all. I dropped all of my difficult classes, so my AP and honors classes in high school, dropped all of those, went down to, I think they called them gen ed, um, and I, I was clearly too smart for some of those classes. It was it was not what I should have been doing. I, I should have been doing something very, very different academically, but I didn't care, and this was frustrating to all of the adults that were around me, and so my mom made me a deal. She said, Or I might have approached her with this deal. I really can't remember what the setup was. i got to have my mom on an episode. That would be so fun. Um, She doesn't live in this state. But uh, next time she's down, we will definitely do that. So the deal that we made was if I got a 4.0 or straight A's or something along those lines, like a very, very uh, good report card, that I could get a small tattoo on my wrist. And the tattoo that I wanted was of a silhouette of a skateboarder named Paul Rodriguez or P-Rod, who was a very famous skateboarder when I was growing up in the early 2000s. And the silhouette was just like him doing a kickflip or some sort of trick, sort of in the air hovering. And so I got whatever the deal was where I had to get these good grades. I got the grades. And uh, I got a, it was about a golf ball size on the inside of my left wrist. Um, So it was like a shadow silhouette of a skateboarder. I'll see if I can find an image. I'm not sure if I can of that one. Um, So that was my first ever tattoo. And at some point I got my initials next to it. I don't really know 
why, but I did that for some reason. Um, so that was my very first tattoo at 15 years old. None of my friends could believe that I got it, and I think my mom probably hated herself for even making the deal, but I think she also knew that I was such, I don't want to say like, like, an individualist, but that, that ultimately I was the kind of person who was going to do what I wanted to do anyway, that she may have had some some sort of insight to say, like, this kid's going to be covered in tattoos. Like, what does it matter? And she was, she was absolutely fucking right. Whoops. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I would love to hear her insights about that now, because even knowing her, that seems like a a really wild thing for her to do as a Southern Christian conservative woman. That's pretty ballsy, but... She did it. She made the deal, held up her end of it, and so I got the skateboarder tattoo when I was 15. Uh, when I was a little bit older, 16, 17, there was another situation, another similar deal where I had gotten in trouble, but if I could do this like impossible task, that I could get another tattoo. And that tattoo that I wanted um, was a cross wrapped in... I want to say some sort of like vines or like not barbed wire, but like some sort of vines or something um, inside on my right arm. And I think I have some pictures of, of that one. Um, so that I got when I was 16 or 17. Very similar situation. She made a deal with me and uh, we both held up our end of the deal. So that's some interesting parenting, man. I would love to ask her about that stuff now. It's been so long. So I got this cross tattoo. Um, those are the those are the only ones that my mom had to like agree to. Everything else I got was was 18 and older. Now, right around when I turned 18, I went to uh, a guy named Tim Necht, and he, Tim works in uh, White Plains, Maryland, or La Plata, Maryland, that sort of area. And a weird connection here is that Luke Holland actually goes to Tim Necht to get tattooed. Tim Necht has done a ton of work on Luke Holland, which is very weird because um, it's a very small, obscure part of Southern Maryland. So I don't know how. Luke ever met Tim Necht, but when we pieced this together, it was very, very strange that we had the same tattoo artist for a little while, um, but de like over a decade apart. Very weird. But Tim Necht did a, a graffiti piece on the inside of my left arm, and it said the word uh, mercy in like a graffiti font. That word didn't particularly mean uh, anything that I could discern now, but it was just a... It was some cool Christian rhetoric is what it was. And I got it in a graffiti font um, in, on this inside of my left forearm. So I basically had both of my forearms on the inside completely done by the time that I was 18. And there's one other tattoo that I actually got when I lived in Maryland just like a week or two before I moved down to Florida. And that is the word Salome, S-A-L-A-M-E, which is not a real word. I got that tattooed on my right ass cheek with three other friends. We all got the exact same tattoo uh, that says Salome. So a very, very small portion of you might know what that actually means. And it's from the Adult Swim show, Tim and Eric, which was like our, our uh, that was like our cult classic stoner kid show uh, back in the early 2000s. It was like some of the weirdest, most abstract stoner comedy that you could find. None of us had ever heard anything like that or seen anything like that before. And us getting together, smoking blunts, smoking salvia, taking painkillers, and watching Tim and Eric was like a regular occurrence. Tim and Eric and the Big Lebowski sort of dominated like all of our cultural references, right? There were no podcasts. There really was barely YouTube. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, that was a lot of what it was. There, there's a particular sketch inside of um, the Tim and Eric show 
Salome was like this phrase that they used. I'm not singing the song. If anybody knows that, maybe I'll link it in the description. But anyway, that fucking show um, and that word Salome was something that we had said and used for a while. So me and then three other high school friends, all of us were around 18 years old. We got this uh, this word tattooed on our right ass cheek. So there's that. You're not getting a picture of that one. Sorry. Now, when I moved down to Florida for college, I had just turned 18. I mean, within like like a couple weeks of turning 18. And, you know, I got my student loan checks. Now, being that young, I was horrible with finances. Or rather, I had, had no experience with being financially independent, setting a budget. I just, you know, I had no experience doing that kind of shit. So... I remember getting a check for somewhere in the ballpark of like 15 grand, and this was like an entire year's worth of food and rent and bills and insurance and all sorts of stuff, but I had never been in contact with that amount of money before, ever. And so I thought, well, what's a few hundred bucks at the tattoo shop? Brilliant, brilliant. This is the the mind of an 18-year-old, right? So. I went to a tattoo shop, it was called Chicago Tattoo, and there is actually where I met the tattoo artist that I still go to. I'm actually wearing his shirt right now, Old Florida Electric ta- Tattoo, um, OFE. Uh, that's Joe Spino, he's the owner there. Joe Spino worked at Chicago Tattoo for a while, that's where I met him back in 2008. Uh, then he worked at a shop called Rise Above for quite a while, and then he started his own shop um, called Old Florida Electric, it's where he works now. And I've gone to Joe for almost every single tattoo I've had since I was 18 years old. So way over a decade now, man. Really cool guy, amazing artist, as you will hopefully see as I show you some of these other tattoos that I've had much more recently. But uh, he did, um, you know, my, my first tattoos when I moved to Florida. And so one of the first ones that I got was the Bible verse, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, which reads, uh, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, needless to say, this is a philosophy that I have uh, come to reject. I suppose we could take it into the abstract and unpack it a little bit, but ultimately it was just a a popular Bible verse that I liked a lot. And I got that tattooed uh, in very large font all the way down um, the outside of my right forearm. So it was very much like a half sleeve. And then I had some roses that were added around that cross. Um, you may notice now that those roses have been turned into planets because this entire sleeve has been covered up. Um, so I, I began working on this like religious philosophy right sleeve. That's what I ended up doing. And so over that next year or two, um, I kept returning to Joe and getting different pieces and parts um, of this right sleeve filled in. And I actually only made it um, to what you would call like a three-quarter sleeve. I didn't go up to my shoulder or anything like that. Now, around like my elbow area and um, lower bicep, lower tricep, uh, I ended up getting a bunch of hands reaching up. And this was some sort of homage to the concept of worship. It was just outstretched hands. Um, And so I got um, black hands, white hands, dudes with watches on, little kid hands, like a variety of different hands and arms sort of reaching up from this Bible verse area. And then the roses and the cross. Um, yeah, and it was some sort of nod to to the idea of worship. That's as mo- the most that I can actually remember. Um, and it, that's as far as I made it before my own personal philosophies sort of came into question. And I I sort of said, well, let me slow down a little bit on some of these uh, some of these deeply religious tattoos. Now, around that same time, actually, I did get a tattoo that I love, probably my favorite tattoo. I got right around that same time, and that is uh, the portrait 
on my left tricep of my dog Snitch. I got that that portrait after only having Snitch for about a year. <clears throat> so it was very much a gamble, I suppose. But you know, you, you know a dog pretty well after a year. And I don't regret that tattoo at all. I regret where I got it because I ended up theming my body and my sleeves um, pretty heavily with this one theme. And Snitch in his portrait is very much out of place on my left tricep. But, you know, not like you can transplant them. So it is what it is. It's a beautiful portrait. It's held up really, really well for a 12-year-old tattoo. Um, still very clear and recognizable. And portraits are one of Joe's specialties. So, um, yeah, I've always been really happy with that one. So that's the Snitch portrait. I got that, I want to say, in late 2008. And I got Snitch in, yeah, Valentine's Day in 2008. So, yeah, really, I would say just about... Like under a year uh, is how long I had Snitch, and then I got him tattooed on me, man. But still one of my favorites without a doubt. Now also around this time, 2008, 9, 10, somewhere in there, um, I got a t another tattoo that I really like a lot. Um, it was from one of the interns at that same shop where Joe had worked. Um, I think his name was Freddie, if I remember right. He's probably a full-time tattoo artist now, but he was an intern at the time, you know, 12 years ago, 10 years ago. And... Uh, this tattoo is on the back right side, like like lower calf, almost ankle um, of my right leg, and it is a rocking chair. And so this is a little story about my mom that that tattoo is for her. Um, she had always had a, a great job. She had always made great money, especially given her qualifications and her background. Um, she worked as a legal secretary um, to a to a union. Uh, and there's, there's a big team of lawyers that work for a machinist union, which are, sorry, a little complicated, but like the uh, the machinist union, are it's a union for the mechanics that work on like aircraft. So airline mechanics have a union, and that union has a very large legal department, and my mom was the secretary to a lot of these like very high up lawyers there. And the job paid uh, phenomenally well with crazy union benefits, and she kept that job to raise me, you know, despite having many other passions, many other interests, many other life traje trajectories that she may have enjoyed, she sort of put all of those on the back burner um, in order to raise her kid properly and to make sure that she had enough money to do so. And one of the things that she was always passionate about, that she always wanted to do in some capacity, was, uh, you know, antiquing. And not just like shopping for antiques, but like restoring and flipping antiques and for a very very long time she had this um, this very focused passion on chairs finding antique chairs and reupholstering them or refinishing the wood or repainting them and uh, for some reason especially just growing up with, with knowing that that was one of the things she was passionate about I thought that a rocking chair was was a great way what well, was a great metaphor like an, an awesome like a piece of iconography that sort of represented what what it is that she did for me growing up, and that was to put her passions and her interests um, aside so that she could raise a kid. And I think that is a that's a wonderful thing that any mother can do. That's that's just a, a beautiful act of love, and it's um that's moms for you, right? That's fucking moms, you know. So that's what the rocking chair is. That's what it's for. It's uh it's my nod to her and her willingness to not do what she may have wanted to do, and instead she did what she felt that she ought to do. Uh, and that's that's the love of a mother, you know? So that's what a rocking chair means to me, and that is on the uh, the back 
right side of my uh, my very low leg there underneath my calf. Now also in this window, I believe it was 2008 as well, I got a lot of small tattoos around this time actually. Um, don't ever do that by the way, don't just go get little tiny tattoos at random, like think about them first, sit on it for a year. It's gonna be there till you die, so it's probably worth your time to do that. Uh, but, but right around this time, um, I had a friend in Maryland, her name was Rachel, and Rachel was a, was a pretty good friend of mine. She was older than me, um, a couple grades above me when I went to high school, but I graduated early, so my last year, even though I was in 11th grade, I was in 12th grade classes, and because of that, you know, I had a bunch of classes with Rachel, and I was not a popular kid in high school. I mean, I wasn't unpopular, but I was like a weird stoner, skateboarder, musician kind of kid. So I wasn't like, you know, on the football team or anything like that. Um, but Rachel was very popular. She was very pretty, very well liked, but she also sold weed. So this is where her and I sort of had this weird, um, I don't want to say connection to imply any type of romantic thing at all. We were always just friends, but like we, we, hit it off in a very unique way um, because she bridged the gap from the popular kids to like the stoner kids and kind of the weirdos. And she was this like, um, she was like a middle woman in a lot of ways. And so she had a lot of friends, very, very popular girl. And very shortly after I had moved down to Florida, to start college. Uh, Rachel was at some sort of party, and I don't wanna fill in the details with things that I can't remember, but ultimately she was, um, drinking and drugs were involved. Uh, I have a guess as to what I think she was on. I can't really remember. Either way, let's just say this simply. She was partying, she was fucked up, she got behind the wheel of a car, and she crashed her car and she died. And I, she was so plugged into my immediate friends group that I knew I had to go back and go to um, her funeral. And so I went back, uh, went to her funeral there. This was only a, within a few months of me moving down to Florida. So I had come back immediately, uh, gone to her funeral. And um, you know, when I came back, I just felt like I wanted to do something to sort of commemorate her. And so I got her name tattooed on uh, sort of my left shin, I suppose, really low on my left shin. And you know, I don't regret getting a tattoo with that profound of a meaning because she was a great friend. I did care about her deeply. That was one of the closer people that I've lost to me in my life. Um, you know, up there in the top five, I would say. But with that said, you know, I did not have the foresight to think that one day I would be engaged to someone, married to someone, and to have a, another woman's name tattooed without any additional context is somewhat problematic. And so that's kind of how I see that now. I wish I wish that I had added a date to it, or I wish that I had gotten some sort of symbol or icon to represent who Rachel was to me, uh, and to sort of encompass her identity that way, as opposed to just putting her name on there, because without context, it definitely looks like I just got some woman's name tattooed on me at some point, because I kind of did, right? <laughs> So my thoughts now is that, you know, maybe I'll cover that tattoo up one day um, and add something within a larger artwork piece to sort of still give a nod to her, something along those lines, right? Um, so yeah, I don't regret the reason that I got the tattoo or getting a tattoo, it's just getting a woman's name with no other context seems like a, that was not the best idea in hindsight, but um, you know, Kelly's fine with it. It'll, it'll get covered up one day. <laughs> now there was a very long time where I didn't get tattoos. I would say 2000. Um, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, I mean, there was a good five-year stretch where I didn't get any at all, but I became increasingly annoyed 
with having religious philosophy tattooed on me. Because especially, you know, just walking around town as a non-believer, riding a motorcycle all over the city, you know, even that was annoying. I would get comments in traffic. I would get stopped at, at the gas station, at the grocery store. I would get these comments, normally complimentary comments, um, but nevertheless annoying about religious philosophy. People would just launch into a religious conversation of some kind in these public settings. And as a non-believer, as someone who had explored this philosophy deeply and consciously rejected it, you know, I found myself having like some really uncomfortable choices, which is I either lie and I pretend to go along with this surface level religious conversation in the grocery store or at the gas station. That I, that's really not within me to do that. It's not my personality. And so I tried that a few times. People would say, oh, man, that's a that's a beautiful verse on your arm. It really blessed me today. And I would go, yeah, I actually don't believe this anymore. And, they, Ugh, and that's such a stupid conversation to have with a total stranger. It's easier to lie in that situation. Just be like, hey, man, glad to hear that. Have a good one. But even that, that also hurt to do that, right? I would rather make it uncomfortable and have the unpleasant conversation and how stupid is that? It's a total waste of time. So many times in certain scenarios, I'd find myself wearing long sleeves to cover um, to cover up my actual right arm to, as to not have these conversations. And, you know, at a certain point, now you cross into this territory of, like, I am embarrassed about my own body. And that was very, very uncomfortable because pick anything that you disagree with. And we could make this... I mean, you could make it dark if you wanted to, but you know, something like kicking puppies in the face is totally cool and tattoo that on your arm and walk around like you, I suppose it's different because that invokes like a disgust, but either way, it is not a representation of your personal beliefs at all, but now it is, it is plastered on your body permanently. So that, that for me fostered a really uncomfortable state of being. And I found myself, um, you know, hiding my own body from strangers just to avoid the discomfort of a conversation that began on the premise that I believe something that I do not, man, that's a bad position to find yourself in. So I knew, um, I would say in 2000, maybe 13, uh, that, that it's worth the money to cover this thing up just for my own sense of well-being. Now, not all tattoos are as easy to cover up as you'd think, especially when they take up such a large surface area. So in my case, I had a three-quarter sleeve that was very detailed. It wasn't like these were light tattoos. They were very thick lines, very, very prominent designs um, that took up a whole lot of real estate on my right arm. So I was very limited with options. And what I decided that I wanted to do was go with something that was ultimately non-offensive, something that I couldn't change my mind on, something that was not ever going to be deeply regrettable, at least in a philosophical context, and it also has to be something that can cover up a large amount of work, so words across hands uh, and the flowers. So I kind of concluded that space would be my best option because it allows you to, to really black out a lot of areas and fill it in with small little stars, which is my kind of the story of my entire right forearm. And of course, I added plenty of color um, and you know detail and stuff inside of there. But ultimately, that is the reason that I went with a space sleeve uh, on the right. It is not that I am deeply passionate about space. I, I definitely, it's ironic that I'm so interested in philosophy because it is a an endless pursuit. But... The reason that I'm not particularly interested in space is because it also feels like an endless pursuit. It's a place I'll never go, and ultimately my, my, my options if I want to learn about space are to trust the opinions and conclusions of other people who are using equipment 
that I don't know how it works. I'm not capable of learning how it works. I'm not going to fucking space. So at the end of the day, it feels like a thing that I just can't fully explore and it creates like a sense of disinterest. I'm not offended by space at all. Space is very non-offensive and objectively it is somewhat interesting. So I kind of thought, you know, this is, we're, we're approaching somewhat of like a timeless concept here. I don't know that I'll ever change my mind about having space tattooed on me necessarily. Like, if anything, I would say I'm just neutral when it comes, I don't hate space, that would be ridiculous, but um, somewhat of like a neutrality there for me where it's like, it's not offensive and I don't love it, but it also, it served a great purpose um, of covering up a, a lot of this work. So I extended the um, this space theme sleeve all the way up my arm, so I finished off the shoulder. I have like a moon that's up there and there's, um, you know, somewhat of like a, what is it? like exploding rocks sort of thing, just weird space shit and colors, very abstract right sleeve. But again, the primary purpose of getting this space sleeve was just to cover up my right arm, and it did a great job of doing that. So that was all Joe Spino uh, who finished up this sleeve here, and I am happy with it. I'm happy that I can't see anything that's underneath it, and it is a, a successful cover-up uh, by all definitions. Now, as my right arm was completed over 2013, 14-ish, somewhere in there, uh, maybe as late as 2015, it was seven or eight sessions and, and pretty expensive to do my entire arm over again. But um, right around the time when, when that was done, I realized that, that I had somewhat of a theme happening where my entire right sleeve was uh, natural or organic or it was very, uh, very human. It was about the universe. It was about... Um, you know, one half of the spectrum as I see it, and the other half of that spectrum, the other half of my brain, is consumed with, you know, things like, well, I shouldn't even say that. It's consumed with things. By things, I mean technologies, uh, mechanisms, like stuff, material non-human stuff. And I liked that contrast. It sort of, it was expanded upon a little bit in the episode of The Shelf, you know, this, this, the shelf here, this technocracy idea of, of, the human biological analog elements of life versus um, the technical, mechanical elements of life. And, and I really enjoy exploring a lot of these contrasts. So I decided that a really cool theme that I could continue throughout my body would be that the right side of my body is in full color and it is the natural or the organic side of my body. The left side of my body would be in black and white and it is the mechanical or the technical side of my body. And I like this because it opens up it opens up this landscape of tattoos, which encompass the you know the only two types of tattoo that I think I would ever get. Um, you know, human biological elements. So that would be things along the lines of of animals. I guess you would put philosophy sort of in that category, or thinking, or thoughts, or big grand ideas, or narratives, or stories. These are all very human things. So that's reserved for the right side of my body in full color to paint this detailed picture, um, and you would need color to do that in many ways, right? And then on the left side of my body, sort of the more flat, muted, but equally interesting elements of tech. So that's what the left side of my body is for. It's for the, um, the technical and the mechanical. And my approach to my left arm was much more to have like timeless things that, that were just pretty to look at. I didn't want to make any statements, um, at least at this point in my tattoo journey. Um, I didn't want to make any, any bold statements on my left arm. So I decided to go with very non-offensive, um, just things that I thought looked really cool. 
And that was about as specific as I cared to get. So my left forearm, so elbow to wrist, um, is basically pipes and gauges. So things that are sort of in, uh, I don't like using the word steampunk necessarily, but like industrial, mechanical sort of realm. I always like that, uh, that type of art. And so this would be my nod to basically the second industrial revolution in that you know, the invention of pipes, valves, and gauges, and all of that sort of stuff, and, you know, the manipulation of electricity in a lot of ways, um, you know, it's played such a massive role in human history, and we genuinely can't even fathom what our lives would look like um, without some of these mechanical elements. This is something I actually expanded on in the last episode of Timekeepers, which is a, a watch meets drums um, video series that I do on the YouTube channel. Anyway, that's story for another day, but... Um, you know, the idea that there are certain pieces of technology that have revolutionized the way that the modern world operates. I like that idea, um, and I, I like that tech as well. So um, so I've got a variety of different gauges um, and pipes, and I put one very large black pipe over top of the graffiti tattoo that said the word mercy. So that has also been covered up because I had to really theme out um, this entire sleeve here. So we've got a variety of different dials, gauges, pipes, things like that. And as that theme continues up my arm, um, on my lower left outside bicep, um, I got an analog mixing board because this is sort of my nod to my interest in audio. My degree is in audio, uh, audio engineering. And you know, I've, I've always been been torn between which side of the glass I belong on. And that's a phrase that's commonly used in the recording industry. You know, which side of the glass are you on? Are you the guy sitting at the desk behind the glass, uh, running, running the show from like a production or a recording or an engineering or a mixing standpoint? Or are you the musician on the front side of the glass who's actually doing the musical performance and not thinking about any of that tech stuff? And I think that analogy of being in a recording studio on either side of the glass is very much, it's very much in line with the contrast that I see when it comes to the organic versus the mechanical, right? Because the engineer who's doing all of the recording, he's very much in the technical. This is nerdy shit. It's engineering, right? So we are talking um, buttons and faders and sliders and electricity and meters and gauges and all of the stuff that, that goes into that world. But then on the, just on the other side of the glass, we have this pure artistry. We have musical expression in one of its truest forms. And those two things meet in a recording studio. It is the marriage of um, you know, our artistic expression and sort of the engineering element of recording. So it is very much a, a marriage of the biological and the technical. Um, and so I see an analog mixing board as sort of telling that story in a unique way. And uh, I, I think they're beautiful. I think mixing boards are fascinating to look at. And it's one of those things that, that in my mind, went from being this unfathomably difficult, complex thing that I couldn't wrap my mind around to being something now that I understand very well. I understand how mixing boards work quite well now. Um, so anyway, I, I like mixing boards. I like mixing as well. It's something I'm very passionate about. And so I got the, the analog mixing board um, tattooed from this kind of odd perspective here on my, um, on my left arm. Now above that, I decided to uh, sort of give a nod to watches because watches specifically are something I'm very interested in. And not just aesthetics, not just design, um, but the idea of these unbelievably complex time measuring machines that have been around for a freakishly long time. It is weird how long we've been able to make watches and clocks. Uh, it's also my nod to the idea of measuring time, which is sort of innate to drummers to some capacity as well. 
So those are the watch parts. And again, I don't intend to put some like overwhelming philosophical emphasis on all of these. Um, I liked things. I liked filling this arm with things that were somewhat non-hateable, right? I don't know that I'm ever going to look at the gears of a watch and be like, ugh, horrible, why did I ever get that? It's pretty non-offensive in a lot of ways. So those are the watch gears. And then on my inside bicep of my left arm, um, I've got my gun tattoo. Now, my favorite thing about this tattoo in particular is that the reflection on the barrel of the gun shows something organic, which I think is kind of cool because it's almost like the reflection that you see in the barrel of the gun is the organic shit that's on the other side of my body, right? So that's actually how it would work if for some reason my tattoo functioned as a mirror or was reflective in some way. Um, so there's like a mountain range um, sort of inside of the... Uh, the reflection of of that gun. And I'd like to get more gun tattoos only because I'm passionate about it and I love them, but at the same time, I don't want to like over-theme my body. But um, one of my, my primary interests in firearms in general, beyond the philosophy of them, beyond the self-protection element, beyond any of that, is just the mechanics. I just think it's fascinating that we have these little tiny devices that can do these incredible things. And the power and responsibility and the the potential, whether harmful or protective or however you want to look at it, they are they are powerful machines that have undoubtedly changed the world. They've completely changed the landscape of humanity. Just depends on what part of human history you want to zoom into, but guns have played a lot of roles there. So they're fascinating devices in, in that way. Um, and so it is not a philosophical statement of any kind for me to get a gun tattooed on me. That's not at all how I look at it. It's, it's merely that the technology that is firearms is just something that I find fascinating. So that's why it goes on the tech side of my body. Now, the problem that I had most recently was trying to explore how I could connect these two themes. Like where, where do these themes meet? Because I can go down both of my legs. My right leg could be all organic, natural. So that would be anything in the element of like, I suppose all animals would be on the table, but anything in the natural world, anything made of wood, right? I mean, there's all sorts of ways you could spin that to say, well, if it's organic and natural, it goes on the right side, and if it's technical and mechanical, it goes on the left. But I don't just want two completely unrelated sides of my body. Like, they have to meet somewhere in the middle, and I've never gotten a tattoo on my chest or on my back. So I spent a very long time, I would say in the ballpark of a year, thinking about different ways that I could connect these two sides of my body. Where is it that the technical and the organic, or the mechanical and the biological, where do they meet? Where do they cross over exactly? And how can I encompass this in some sort of artwork? So I decided to get what I describe as a technocratic eagle on my chest. Now, you know, Baseline small brain view would be that I just like eagles. I think it's a cool, very traditional, very American thing to get tattooed on your chest. Not particularly offensive either. I mean, it's just a bird. You know, you know what I mean. We can, we can, uh, we don't have to go to some level of abstraction where it's like a political statement or some nationalist statement. It's a fucking bird that looks cool. So we can go there if we want to go there. But the reason it's a technocratic eagle is because the eagle is. It's two-headed, and one side of the eagle is a natural eagle. It is very much um, just a bird, and it's tattooed exactly how you would expect a bird to be tattooed. Um, but as the eagle goes towards the left side, where the second head begins, it slowly is turning into a robot. So it's like a mechanical eagle on the left side of my body. And to me, this sort of represents the technological shift that is happening 
which is mostly happening in America. It's not to say that it's not happening all over the world. Definitely is happening all over the world. This this technocratic or or technology-based societies, you know, that is happening everywhere. But it really comes from here because big tech predominantly lives here. And as we all know, they are the source of many of these changes. How social media has sort of uh, dominated our culture or at least shaped our culture in a ton of different ways. And we don't know exactly where this is going or how it's going to end up. But the idea that technology has not played a role in our culture, in our country, in our world, in our societies, that seems like utter nonsense to me. And even if it all stopped today, we would still look back in wonder and awe of what it is that technology has done to our world or what it did to our world in this period of time. So even if there's no permanence to this, What a wild fucking time to be alive. And I feel so fortunate in many ways to have been born at a place within the technological revolution where I can remember what it was like to not have internet. I can remember what it was like to have a question and not have the intuition to Google it because that just wasn't a thing that you did. I can remember what it was like to not have any social media. And I remember the first magnetism that I felt towards something like MySpace. I remember that beginning to impact uh, culture in high school. You know, and and so I feel very fortunate to have been just on the other side um, of this technological revolution where our culture is now totally transformed and is actively being transformed into something that a lot of us don't recognize or, again, we just don't really know where the fuck we're going, right? And so as an American watching this happening, I like the idea of an American eagle turning into a fucking robot. I really like that idea. It grew on me. It grew on me a lot. Again, I thought about this for quite a while before I got this tattoo. And, you know, so as the eagle transforms into the robot, it also becomes um, digitized, right? So the flag, the American flag that is behind the eagle, the stars that are in the top right shoulder area, they sort of morph into... Um, the, the, the space tattoo that is on my shoulder, right? So there's a little bit of crossover happening with the stars. Um, and that it's not to say that, that, that the American flag is synonymous with space. It's a little deeper than that. For me, I look at the connection of the stars of the American flag connecting to the stars of outer space. I look at that as though there is something about American philosophy, the concept of natural inalienable rights that is in line with some version of human nature. That when the West was born, when America, when American philosophers first, you know, pitched this idea of individual rights, that they came into alignment with some sort of natural law. Now, they described it as, you know, inalienable rights or something, natural rights, or something that you were born with. They are provided by God or by nature and not bestowed upon you by a government or by any group of people. And if you do believe in any capacity that we have natural rights, it would be safe to say that something, some element of the American philosophy of natural inalienable rights that are that are bestowed upon you from the universe in some capacity, it would be safe to say that you believe a portion of the American philosophy is in line with nature. And if that's the case, this is where I see that connection. I see the connection of uh, a portion of American philosophy being in line with human nature to some capacity. That doesn't mean it's perfect. It doesn't mean we figured it all out. It doesn't mean that we need to stop talking about it. And this is why there's so many amendments to the Constitution, because we definitely didn't get it right. Uh, but we came into alignment with some sort of natural law. This is what I believe. Uh, but of course, this 
belief is certainly open to debate. There are many people who would be willing to debate this, and I would love to have that discussion. But um, to me, this is where this is where the stars of the American flag meet space. It is that American philosophy moved us closer to something, something that is aligned with human nature. And I think the core of that would be um, individual rights or natural rights that are totally inalienable and provided to you by God or by nature and not by a government or by people. So we can save that debate for another day. Fun one to have, American philosophical debates, very fun. Um, and as we get over to you know, this, this robotic side, I decided to put um, binary code behind um, the eagle here because to me, you know, it is fascinating that of all of the technological ethical problems that we might find, which let's be honest, they're very they're they're not really debatable. I mean, I mean, to say that technology has presented no ethical challenges is totally untrue. Whole lot of ethical problems that that come um, from tech. And at its core, when we say tech, many times we are talking about mechanically engineered parts. That would be like the gears, the pipes, the valves, the gauges, things like that. But really, when we're talking about the the truly problematic ethical situations that technology introduces us to, you know, a lot of that is ones and zeros. And it's really fucking weird that that's the case. But but it kind of is, right? I mean, all algorithms, all social media, the entirety of the internet is ultimately ones and zeros. It is a language. It's a code that that has presented us with this, well, this, you know, with these overwhelmingly complex problems when really what we're talking about is ones and zeros and manipulating ones and zeros into this, this linguistic code, which ultimately can say anything. It can do anything. And we've yet to explore what those limits or those boundaries might be. Uh, but just in terms of the discovery of binary code, it is unbelievable the philosophical and ethical impacts that such a thing could have, the discovery of binary code. And so whatever technology is doing, wherever it's taking us, not that we know, but wherever the fuck we're going, binary code is sort of the, the magic carpet that we're sitting on that's taking us there. And so I think it's gonna play, well, of course it's gonna play, but technology is gonna play this massive role in what humanity is and whatever it's going to be. Um, and at its core, the the linguistic narrative that's underneath all of that is ultimately ones and zeros. And so I thought that was an appropriate thing to get uh, behind the eagle there on my left shoulder here. And so that leads into sort of the, the watch parts that are up there. Now, I should also mention that that technological ethics and sort of the relationship of human beings to tech is something that I've been passionate about, passionate about for a very long time. So in my eyes, this does not go into a conspiratorial category at all, though there are many interesting conspiracy theories that would be fun to explore in a podcast like this. But for me, the technocratic eagle um, is really just a statement that tech is changing humanity. That's what it is to me. It's changing humanity to a, to a degree that we don't fully understand yet. Again, I don't think we know where we're going. I'm very interested to find out. And of course, ultimately, most of these changes are coming from America because uh, we are we are the, the tech powerhouse is what we are, right? We, we are home to all of the, the major companies, corporations, and the tech world that has sort of produced all of these unbelievable technologies which are actively shaping humanity. A huge majority of them live here. So America is front and center 
when it comes to having this conversation, right? You can't have a conversation about technological ethics or the idea of a technocratic society or the technocratic shift. You can't have these discussions without discussing American philosophy. They all route you back to some of these fundamental ideas um, that American philosophers put forward a very long time ago. And we're gonna have to wrestle with those as we get further and further into uh, whatever this fucking game is that we're playing with big tech. And not just big tech. I don't mean to, to put everything on, you know, Amazon and Facebook. More so technology as a whole. You know, a lot of my my concerns when it comes to these issues are not directed at individual corporations, though you could certainly find flaws within Alphabet, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Twitter. Of, of course, we can have that discussion separately. But I would say a lot of my concerns are, are of a much grander narrative, a much, a much larger philosophical approach, and that is you know, that tech in of itself could be the problem, not necessarily the people running the tech companies, that they would just merely be puppets in the game, uh, that, uh, that tech comes with its own problems, period, all technology, right? And where we decide to draw these lines, man, talk about a complicated conversation that we're going to have on another day, right? Okay, I'm going to leave alone the technocratic conspiracy shit for now. But anyway, hopefully that offers a little bit more context as to why, why I got this half robot eagle on my fucking chest. And I think that's it. I think it's all the tattoos I have, or at least all the ones I can remember. Maybe I missed some, but I don't think I did. Um, and you know, more coming, more on the way. I've learned to be a little bit more patient when it comes to getting tattoos. I like the idea of, of sitting on a piece of artwork or a concept um, for a longer period of time and sort of honing in on that. So that's how I plan to get uh, many of my next tattoos, really sit on them and just let them sink in and make sure that I'm comfortable with that idea. I would give that advice to anybody considering get a tattoo. Pick the tattoo, and when you're sure about it, schedule that appointment for one year from that day, and then think about that, too, that tattoo uh, for quite a while over that next year to make sure that it still feels right. But you know, beyond tattoos, in this same category, in this same wheelhouse, another thing I get asked about that we're gonna close out on here is dreadlocks. And a lot of people ask about like, they, they prescribe this, like they call it a lock journey is what people call it. And I'm totally aware that for many people, dreadlocks are synonymous with like uh, some sort of spiritual experience, a growing experience, like a, a metaphorical lesson that you could apply to your life. And you know, I think you get to pick how you wanna look at that. For me, it's not that serious. <laughs> I think, I think one of the, the, the more serious lessons that you could pull out from, from having dreadlocks would be, for me personally, this is just one that I've experienced, that would be like the, the lesson of patience in that you, this is not something that you can rush. Having dreadlocks takes a long ass time and you have to be very, very patient. And you know, some days you wake up and you don't like how your hair looks, but dreadlocks will teach you to just chill out Give it time, really, that's, that's always the answer. Give it time, be patient, wait, wait, wait. Slow, monotonous maintenance, whether you're crocheting or palm rolling or you know press rolling, like all these different techniques that you might use to maintain your dreadlocks. You know, you, you learn that it's a very slow, monotonous process that is ultimately very rewarding if you stay the course. Again, it's just not something that you can rush. So that's kind of a built-in lesson that you do get from having dreadlocks. But beyond that, sort of the, the spiritual woo-woo elements that people like to sprinkle on it, none of, I don't care about any of that stuff. Um, for me, what got, <laughs> what got me first 
well, not first, but what, what made me decide that I was going to get dreadlocks was the fact that I wanted to grow my hair out, but I couldn't do it without my hair dreading. My hair dreads naturally. It just fucking does that. So what my hair looks like naturally, it is very thick. It's like horse hair, super, super thick. And I get big, giant, spiraling curls of hair. And those spirals ultimately turn into dreadlocks unless I like condition and brush my hair regularly, which I never really had an interest in doing. So as soon as I wanted to grow my hair out as an adult, you know, when I was maybe 23 or four, I decided to grow my hair out a bit. You know, I found that not having dreadlocks was actually a lot harder than having dreadlocks. If I let them dread, this was way easier. So I ended up letting that go. Um, and of course I just kept the size short the entire time, but my hair is so thick and so fucking heavy that I really don't know if I would ever have full locks like all the way to the back of my head and all the way along the sides. I don't know if I would ever do that because of the amount of weight. I mean, my dreads are already heavy. It's a lot of weight. I don't have any neck problems or anything like that, but I can feel them sometimes. So the thought of having them uh, wrap my entire head instead of like 60%, not too interested in that. But yeah, man, I I, uh, I can tell you the thing that I don't like about having dreadlocks is that you are wholly committed to an extreme aesthetic change at some point, right? I mean, at some point I'm gonna cut them off. I don't know when that is. I don't really have a plan or a date to do that. But you know, at some point when you cut them off, that is an extreme aesthetic change. It's the equivalent of growing your hair out and shaving your head because you really don't undo dreadlocks, not ones that are this old and this mature. They're they're pretty stuck. They are what they are. Um, so I don't like that commitment, that whenever I decide to do it, it's gonna be extreme and there's really no way around that. That kinda sucks, there's no like half measure there, unless you wanna just trim your dreadlocks forever, but I'm not, not really into that. Um, so yeah, that would be the only real downside. Everything else you get used to over time, you just kind of acclimate to having these long ropes hanging off of your head. Um, but for me, it is not It is not a statement. It's not tied into any sort of like religious or spiritual ideology. It's, it's very much in the same category as how I look at tattoos. And that is that, why not? Like, I'm gonna fucking die. This whole body is gonna rot in the ground and whatever's left over, whatever piece of consciousness that decides to flutter off into the universe, if that's what happens, you know, whatever. I get to leave this, this meat engine behind. And so I don't mind doing weird shit with it. I think I should take care of it. I think I should treat it in a way that promotes my own well-being, that makes me feel good and enjoy the life experience more. But tattoos and dreadlocks have literally nothing to do with that. It's just weird-ass versions of decorations more than it is some profound statement about something that I believe about the world. So in so many ways, I don't take dreadlocks that seriously. It's just... I don't know, I thought it was cool, why not, who cares? That's kind of where I'm coming from with locks, so when people ask about like, tell me your dreadlock journeys, like, dude, it's just fucking hair. It's a bunch of hair that's tangled up that kind of hangs in these ropes, and that is what it is. One day I won't have them, maybe we'll get another set, that'd, that'd be a lot of fun, because you do learn some uh, some tactical things about what to do and what not to do with dreads as you fuck them up over time. Uh, long learning experience, for sure. But yeah, so that's my view on dreadlocks, that's my view on tattoos. Um, yeah, in, in the comments below, I would love to know if you have any tattoos, if you've been on the fence, if you're a person who would never ever consider getting a tattoo or having dreadlocks, um, tell me why. I'd love to know, is there something about it that is philosophically scary? Is it too much of a commitment to a belief for you? I'd be interested in exploring that. 
Anyway, um, that's all I got for you in this one. Thank you guys so much for watching. I really appreciate it. Hope this was in some way insightful, maybe to some views that I have, or I hope some of the context that I provided, some of the background was interesting uh, in some capacity. And again, I would love to have a discussion with you down in the comments of the YouTube video specifically. Uh, and if you're watching on Apple and Spotify, no harm done. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it, guys. Adam here. This has been All In With Adam, episode nine. Share this episode with a friend if you can. It would be, it would be much appreciated. Love you guys, and I will see you next week. We're going to have brother Joe Hodgen on the podcast. Um, he's been the master loopsmith for OrlandoDrummer.com for a very long time. He's one of the groomsmen in my wedding uh, and a very, very close friend. So he'll be on next week. Excited to have him. And I will see you guys there. Take care. Bye.